Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Children, you may go to Children's Church. We are going to actually take communion now. Um, I wanted to start by uh, sharing something that a 91-year-old shared with me that helped change how I view a little bit, to one degree or another, what we're going to do here in a moment. I had a professor when I was going to Bible college out in Idaho, and he, uh, uh, he was 91 years old had been a professor, his doctor, and I can't remember his, his name for the life of me, but um, he was a famous teacher in the sense that all of us young bucks were like, we have a 91-year-old professor. And uh, he looked like he was 91. <laughs> and he would come into class, he had a hunch, he had the 91-year-old look, but he had this energy or this spirit about him that was very young. And um, in fact, one time he was telling us that he has, he's not going to be at class the next day. He has an eye appointment um, because he said, I think I'm going blind in one of my eyes. Like, and for us, we're like that, would be, like, that would be insanity for our world to have to figure out how to see with one eye. And for him, he's like, it's just another chink, you know, just one thing after another with me. So he goes... He comes back, he has an eye patch on one eye. And he comes up to the stage uh, that is maybe a little bit higher than this. And he comes up and and he jumps up onto the stage. And he basically said, well, I look like a pirate now and I have one eye. (laughs) Open your Bibles. Let me just start going. He did say at one time... Uh, it was in a New Testament class around communion, and he said, oftentimes there are people that there's a debate around how often you take communion. I don't know if you've been in church long enough to know that, but some churches do it every week, some churches do it bi-weekly, every, every other week, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we do it once a month. And uh, he said for the churches that do it uh, once a month, sometimes what they say is, well, if you did it every week, wouldn't it just get old and boring? And to this person that said this to him in his front room, he points above his fireplace, he had a picture of his four-year-old son. Now, it was not like a, a camera taking a picture, it was a, a, a sketch of his son. And they didn't have cameras at the time, um, or if they did, they didn't have access to them. And in, where he was, and so they had an, an artist come in and draw a picture of kind of their one and only son, and they had it posted up above the uh, mantle of the fireplace. And he goes on to say, when my son was four years old, fairly soon after that picture was drawn, my son went out the back door and walked down to the creek and drowned down there. And we couldn't find our son, and we went out the back door. And we went down to the creek and we found his body in the, in the creek there. And he said, I never get old looking at that picture, remembering my son. Now imagine that you have a child and you don't have an iPhone full of 5,000 pictures that your iCloud is, iCloud is sending you messages. Please upgrade. You don't have enough room. You have one. And it's, and it's, the, and it's the picture by which you remember your son. And his point is that based upon who Jesus is, that he will never find this old or boring. And I think that if we categorize it correctly in that sense, you and I would agree with that. If we really categorize and we understood and every time we took communion, we were hyper-focused on what the Lord has done for us, saving us from ourselves and reconciling us to the Father, we would never lose sight of what we're doing here. There's a passage, 
um, that I just want to read. This is Scripture, the words of God to help us in this moment here. This is Psalm 68, verse 20. It says, Our God is a God of salvation. And that is true. It goes on to say, And escape from death belongs to the Lord, my Lord. The escape from eternal death. The escape from separation from the Father. The escape from what we deserve as hell belongs to the Lord. There's one way, and it's through Jesus. And by the plan designed by the one that designed us and the universe, he's determined that this substitutionary atonement that took care of the propitiation for sins and expiation of sins on the cross by the triune God and Jesus living a life not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it perfectly and innocently, then give His life on the cross for us so that our sins could be paid for. And that was the only way by which you and I could escape what we deserve as hell and have what we don't deserve in grace and mercy as heaven. And as Jesus gets towards the end of His ministry where He knows there's this time where He's headed to Jerusalem, He begins having these moments with His disciples and He, uh, and he takes uh, bread and, and His juice and, and he, uh, or, or wine and before he leaves, he has these moments where he, he teaches that he, I want you to do this regularly. Remember this. And I believe that part of the reason for that is because that's, that's what we as created humans need to remember this. So it begins, the passage we're going to read is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is Paul talking. He's now an apostle. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. And the bread represents the body. He goes on to say, In the same way he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we take this, and what we're supposed to remember when we take this is what the Lord has done for the world out of mercy by grace. So we're going to have the bread go around. What I ask is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you take the bread and you hang on to that, and then we'll take it together. And then after that, we'll send the cup around. You'll take a cup and you'll hold on to that, and we'll take it together.
On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So together, we take this and remember. We're going to send the uh, cup around. Uh, Take the cup, hold on to that, and we'll take that together. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Our God is alive and he's returning. We drink this in anticipation for that. So together, we remember. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our life would never turn into something where remembering the ultimate sacrifice that saved us from everything that is not in You. And there is no other way except for this way that that would never become boring to us. That it would never become old to us. God, in some, in some way, as you, as you always do, You know what we need and what's best for us. And And we believe that this is yet another 
moment like that where we focus time and time and time again on your body on the cross and your blood shed for us. We love you. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, at this moment would be the time where I'd introduce Tom to you and we would continue in the series called Faith That Loves to Work. And uh, Tom has been in the series for uh, two weeks now, and it's been a series that he has talked about in our private conversations for a while, and I've been kind of excited to hear, and we've kind of talked about him doing it, and, and he would, you know, early on it was, oh, I'm not ready for it, I haven't fully thought it through, I haven't, you know, and uh, so this time when I pitched it to him, he's like, yeah, let's do it, and so he, he comes to me at one point, and he has this outline, you know, he's like, I assume, you know, that each person will use their own words. And I'm like, like, I wasn't really sure what that meant, but I'm like, okay, cool, you know, like, and uh, he, he then says um, that uh, if, he wants, if he wants me to preach one of them, to let me know. I said, Tom, why don't you preach all of them? And, in my, and what's going through my mind is this is like something you've been prayerfully pouring over for years and years and years, something that's been on your mind for years and years and years, and something that uh, you've been reading scripture and seeing things of for years and years and years. I want to hear what God has done through you in this stuff and then present it to the body of Christ here at Cornerstone. And I'm super pumped for that. And so I've been having to do it online. And today was going to be that day where I was able to sit and watch Tom, you know, God work through Tom and him preach this message and wrap this series up in uh, 52 minutes before this sir, before first service started. Um, he got a notification <clears throat> that he has that he's sick. And <laughs> And uh, so, in all seriousness, there's two sides to this. Um, one is pray for Tom. Um, he is sick, and uh, he's not in a horrible condition or anything like that. But he's got, you know, like, you know, some symptoms like, you know, a, a little cough and a little sore throat. And uh, he also was supposed to leave on a cruise tomorrow, and that was the reason for his test. And uh, so. Um, I, I don't know how sad Tom is about not taking the boat to Alaska. He was like, why can't I just fly there? Can I just fly there and look at things? And so, but I'm sure Karen is pretty upset. So I'll be praying for them and that they can heal from this quickly. And, and so the, um, we got that text as Nate and I and the worship team were up here getting ready to you know, do the music stuff because we start practice at 8. And, um, and so we find out that Tom's not going to be here. So I go over to the Gray House and... And I sit down at the desk and I, and I just start, I just kind of pray. Like, it's like a kid in a candy store, right? Um, but instead of candy, it's like sermons. You're like, I don't even know where to start right now. 52 minutes. And um, so I say this prayer often. Um, uh, I, I ask that God would take the service from me and that he would be glorified. And so I prayed that again and just started like thinking. And um, I did, I literally typed into Google, <laughs> this is embarrassing, I was like, sermon ideas. <laughs> 43 minutes left, you know. And, uh, and just to kind of get my mind going and, and just like look at like, you know, uh, just get my bearings a little bit. And so I started thinking about what are some things that I feel plagues our world um, our country, our state, our county, our church. What is like something that's there that we could just spend a couple moments this morning talking about? And uh, I'd, I'd miss Tom's sermons because I went on a vacation uh, with uh, five kids in a car for 12 hours up to Washington. And it was, there was a lot of good parts to it. We go up to Washington. There's a Christian camp up there that we send our kids to. And the cousins go. And they all do their thing. And we see family and stuff. And, and one of our, two of our kids are too little. But then uh, Jason was actually able to go to a VBS at the church I used to work at. So we get up in the morning. We take all the kids and cousins out to uh, this camp. We drop them off there. And then we drive to the next city over. We drop Jason off to a VBS. And we drive to the next city over there. And we hang out with my parents for a while. And it's been good to see them. Uh, because of various reasons, just spending some time with them. And, uh, and we do that day after day after day after day. And, uh, but it was really, really good. But speaking of that, one of the things that comes to mind is I believe that not just our country, I believe our world searches for something and uses various words for it. But I think what they're looking for is, like, is just peace. Like so many of us, I believe, are just looking for peace. 
And the reason why the trip reminds me of this is that when you put seven people in a car and you drive 12 hours, like you, you begin to lose some of that peace. <laughs> and you get up there and you have a good time, but then you get like, you know that there's this, there's this 12 hours back, you know, and uh, the kids did wonderful. I don't know, like it was literally just a blessing from God or something. Like Alexis decided, I want to sit in a car seat for 12 hours. And she just hung out and had a good time. Like, I don't, like she literally didn't cry or fuss, but either way. Um, we're coming back. We're 50 miles from our house. We stop at uh, Costco. I think it's in Woodland. It's like on I-5 past the airport. And we stop at Costco. And I love eating at Costco. And we also buy the stuff we don't need or whatever, put it in the car because it's easier to buy it you know, an hour away. But, so everything's fine there. We drive from there to our house, and I pull up into the driveway, shut the car off, open the door, and right now, every parent knows what time it is. Bedtime. <laughs> Everybody's going in and going to bed. So uh, my goal is like, let's get out of this, get this unloaded, get these kids in the car, because there is like a sense of like where you do, like your life's been just, you know, just blended up for 10 days. You just want to, literally, there's something about your own bed. I don't know if you guys experience that. That's a weird feeling. But there's somewhere you lay down on your bed and you're like, oh, life is right again. <laughs> and maybe that's a bit of what some people, that feeling is just a, a sliver of what people are looking for. But I'm taking stuff out of the car and I'm like, I smell gas. But I'm like, I haven't been at my house for 10 days. Who knows what happened in California while I was gone? Like, everybody might smell like gas. I don't know. So I start unloading stuff and I go back out there and, and I get another like major wave of this like gasoline fumes. And so I take the gas cap off. I'm like, you know, if Emily came out right then, I'm like sniffing the gas thing. She's like, no, Brian, come inside. Just go to sleep. And so I put the gas cap back on. I'm like, oh man. So I take some more bags and I come back out and I'm like, no, something's wrong. There's gas coming somewhere. And I look underneath and there's gas dripping from underneath the car we just bought like three weeks ago. <laughs> so I had the pleasure of Friday taking a GMC Yukon XL gas tank out onto my face and then setting it down and finding that there's a pinhole in the fuel line. That's not the, those kind of elements, I think, cause us to realize in those moments that we don't have peace, right? And I think that the problem is not the fuel line, though, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because I, I do believe, I'm confident of it, I looked at statistics, 38 minutes left before the service started. I was looking at statistics. We are searching for peace all over the world. And I think what people are like, what they feel is like that gas line issue, right? But what they're really looking for is they know their soul is not at rest. So then, is it possible for us to have a peace that the Bible actually talks about? The Bible says that we should have peace and that we should be peacemakers. We should live in peace. We should try to reconcile in peace. Like, there's this peace that we're supposed to have. Is it even possible? And then, and then if it is possible, are we outside of that context? Meaning that maybe some churches, maybe some people, some countries, whatever, can have peace. But we're outside of that context because uh, our, our environment is so different. Let me explain to you an environment. I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 9. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of the context. I will warn you that, that many parts of this sermon has a lot of assumed knowledge that maybe um, I will miss parts that help connect ideas together. So be gracious with me. In, in chapter 9, a little bit of the context is that, is that Saul has been converted... And he is now engaging and spreading the gospel. So, so Saul is going from being a, a killer and persecutor of the way of, of Jesus' followers to Jesus doing all of the uh, soteriology in this moment we get to see where uh, God says, Saul, you're mine. And he is called, changed, redeemed, regenerated right there. And then he begins to go and preach boldly and talk about Jesus boldly. And right before this text in verse 29, it says, he conversed and debated with Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And so that's the environment these churches, by the way, we're going to talk about. And in this region, it, there might be hundreds, maybe, maybe thousands, but there's churches developing 
right, in, in, this, in this way, um, in this area, and, and they're preaching the word boldly, and there's people that literally want to kill them. Verse 30 says, When the brothers found out that they want to kill him, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The very next verse is our verse. 31. So, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria... So church, singular, meaning all the churches, had peace and was strengthened. Stop there for a second. There's an environment in which the churches in this area are under great persecution, even trying to kill or capture the people preaching the good news that hopefully we talk about week by week by week with people. And it says that the Church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were strengthened. In that environment, they're living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. And I think that this church having peace in spite of this is really what this church is experiencing, I really believe is what we're all longing for when we feel that lack of peace. Well, what I'm going to conclude in the end is that I believe that we go to other things because what happens is the Bible, ultimate authority, is teaching us about this peace. It absolutely, 100% teaches us about this peace. And we're going to touch just a little bit like a toe in the water on how to get this peace. But then, on the other hand... The world that we live in, our culture, is, is actively teaching you and I how to get that peace. The reason they're doing that is because they know we want that peace. And there's somebody that's like, I can make some money on this peace. And there are people who just generally care about people that like, I want them to have this peace. And so there's, there's various sources, but two primary sources teaching you about this peace. And if we want that peace, where does it come from? How do we get that? I want to take you to uh, Psalms 133. We're going to read the entire chapter of Psalms 133. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. To summarize this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live in harmony. When, when among the church, whether our local church cornerstone, whether uh, in our county, around the world, when the brothers and sisters in Christ live together in harmony. The only way you can live together in harmony is with this peace. And it's, and it's a portion of that peace that I really believe the world is looking for. Unfortunately, we go to the wrong places, and we'll get to that in a second. But we want that peace. And this is what, event, essentially, 2 and 3 is saying this. So verse 1 says, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, when they have that peace together. Verse 2 and 3, If you've never had oil poured on your head, where it runs down your beard and then onto your robe, uh, what this is saying is God likes that. In fact, end of verse 3, says that, And the Lord has pronounced His blessing on that, His favor of that. And so this is, Psalms 133 is talking about this harmony within the church, people living in this harmony, in this peace, which is what I believe we're, look, we're looking for. The world is looking for that. James chapter 3, if you want to turn there. says this, if you're wise 
and understanding or and understand God's way. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Okay, and this is the part I want to get to here. Listen to this. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is true and undefiled. It is also peace loving or peaceful. It is peace loving. It loves peace. It is gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. There's something being taught here. First off, Tom, last week, I listened to the sermon so I know what happened. He told you who James was written to, right? Who was James? Who, the book of James, who was it written to? Christians. So apparently, there are times in Christians' lives, followers of Jesus, their lives don't have peace. What is peace-loving that creates peacemakers that create peace? I believe that the source of peace comes through one thing. Spoiler alert, you guys already know it, right? This is 52 minutes, okay? This is the best I can do. But I think there's something here. It's a good reminder for us. Listen to this. The peace that ultimately mankind is looking for, you will not find in a new house. You will not find in plastic surgery, chain yourself, new clothes. You will not find in new friends. You will not find with more money, with a different job. The peace that we're struggling with presents itself, manifests itself in these other areas where we miscontribute what the problem is. The problem is, without Jesus, you are not at peace with anything. Because I believe that the law is written on our hearts, that we all know that there is a God, and those who claim there is not are suppressing the truth. So you know you are not right. That doesn't mean that there's not people that like, don't have fun, right? Because there's people with boats and fishing poles, so we know there's people that have fun. But peace that continues and continues through a believer's life, whereas we run this race with endurance that the Lord has put before us, if we are not on the road that the Lord put before us, you will not find peace. So that goes back to, well, if that is true then, Brian, how do I know I'm on the road? We just read about it. It comes from the wisdom above. And so this is what I believe we're driving at here and the Bible is teaching us. I do believe that as we see this desire, this pursuit for peace throughout Scripture, that that peace we're looking for is actually possible. And then what we see is that not only 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago were people looking for this peace, today we're looking for this peace. And what the Bible is relentlessly saying is that your soul is not at rest because it doesn't have Jesus. You're not reconciled to your Creator. So you don't have this peace. And so we try to satisfy it in different areas. I remember the first time I realized retail therapy works. I bought something on Amazon that I didn't really need, and I just was happy for two days. <laughs> And I think that although there is this happiness that didn't actually provide peace, what it did is it masked something that was going on. And when we see that there's times where we begin, even as followers of Jesus, I believe this happens, we take good things and we make them God things. We begin to worship the creature rather than the creator. 
And what we do is we begin to get off of that road and we get out from underneath this. This is the truth from above. So somebody may say, okay, we got like 10 minutes left, Brian. How do I get this piece? This piece that I believe that we're all actually searching for, we try to medicate it with the wrong stuff all the time, is what we're looking for is peace that is, has to do with our soul, the center of who we are. And we see it in unbelievers in the way that they don't have Jesus. They're not forgiven and they know it. They're suppressing it. It's written on their hearts. They know it. We're all without excuse because we all know it. And in the end, they'll try to medicate it with certain things and they'll feel a little bit better, a little bit better, and a little bit better. But when you get down to it, they will never be able to have the peace that they're actually looking for because they're not a child of God. They're not forgiven. They're not redeemed. Their faith isn't in Christ. Everything they have is on shaky ground. And for the follower of Jesus, we can struggle with this too. And what does it look like? It looks, be, it looks like there's something in our life, whether it's sin or something that, that, that causes us, when the Bible talks about the wandering away type of thing, and the rescuer, the brothers who go, brothers and sisters who go and bring other people back, when we begin to do that wandering thing off of that road, we begin to know, ah, something's not right, something's not right. And you know what we do? We medicate that with something else. Because what are we longing for? We want that peace in our soul again. Well, I'll just, I'll just buy a new smartwatch. And Amazon just ships it way too quickly because it gets here and I only got two days of, of waiting for it. And then it's gone again, right? And it starts creeping back in and we try to medicate it again with a new car or a better job or, or a better relational life with your, with your spouse, which isn't bad, but you're not going to solve the peace issue because when you're not in right relation with the Lord, there's going to be this root that will not be changed until you fall back underneath this and you submit to Scripture, and then you are on that road. And here's, here's the idea. I believe that we are built and designed by God to live in such a way where we live in obedience to this and that we'll know we are following and pursuing Christ. And what, and what we can bank upon when we are following Jesus and we are on the road that He has laid before us in that metaphorical sense that when things go awry, we can bank upon the promises and faithfulness of God. And you're not trying to rely on yourself because you will fail yourself. Because you're not going to be able to fix that with more landscaping at our house. I'm going to fix that with a vacation or good food. There's a thing in us where we can feel when we're reconciled with the Creator or not. And as we're pursuing these things, trying to get to that peace, I believe what the Bible teaches is that there's peace found in right relationship with the Lord. And I'll give you one general example. If you are pursuing Christ and you're doing what you know that God wants you to be doing and you're being obedient to, to the Word, that as certain things come along in your life that are hurtful or that are painful or you feel lost in, or are difficult, or you experience persecution over, what you will know is that I'm pursuing Christ, and I need to do what's right in this, and that the Lord is faithful to His promises. And just as we remembered here, He's coming back for us. Now, for some of us, this means nothing now. Like, I feel pretty good, Brian. I feel a little bit better now, and I'm ready to go hit the week. When missionaries then go overseas and they begin to experience whatever they experience over there, it depends where you are and what you're doing, all that stuff, then all of a sudden it sets in. When your marriage is falling apart and you're trying to figure out what to do, it all sets in. When your child dies and you don't know what to do, it all sets in. When you lose your job and you're thinking, but I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I think it all sets in that there's this peace because in the end, the most important thing is that we're followers of Jesus and being obedient to Him. And in that area, there's a peace that can't be stolen. It can't be taken away. Because it has to do with the right relationship with the Lord.
Hebrews chapter 2, I mean chapter 12, talks about discipline. Talks about sin and idolatry and talks about discipline. And it uses the example that children discipline the ones that they love. No, that's not right. 52 minutes, okay? God disciplines the ones that he loves. And he uses the example that us parents do the same thing, actually. And that is true. I tell my kids, more so now than years ago, that like the only reason I'm having this conversation with you is because I love you. The only reason that I'm disciplining you like this is because I love you. Otherwise, I'll just let you do whatever you want. Right? All the parents are like, yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example. I've told this one before, but it's just really good because it's simple and it's quick and we all get it. My kids developed this game where they'd take the chain off of their bike, which is the only way that allowed them to stop. They would point their bikes down this hill and point it at the gate on gravel. And what they do is they get going down this hill and the game was don't run into the fence at the bottom. And so what they'd have to do is they'd have to lean and turn because you turn too sharp, you're going to crash. You don't turn enough, you're going to crash. So the game is don't crash. That's their game. And it's a stupid game. So they go and do this. They're like, Dad, watch this. Their chain's off the bike, and they go down there. And I'm thinking, like, in my mind, I haven't put everything together because I'm thinking, like, how are they going to stop? Well, they go down. That is the game. And they go down there, and they're, like, shaking. You know, the bike's going all the way down. And they're trying to turn without crashing, and, they, and they're able to do it. I don't think any of them crash, I don't think. But, you know, of, of course, I put an end to that game, right? And I didn't discipline them for that because that was a cool game. But if they did it again, they would be disciplined, right? Because now they're disobeying, and we discipline for that. Why? Because we love them. It'd be a lot easier to be like, just go ride your bike without a chain. You're going to crash into the fence someday, and you're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. And I just saved myself time. I believe that God does the same thing. And my point is not to talk about God's discipline for us, but here's what I'm talking about. What is God disciplining us to? Back to the obedience of the word. Right? This, is, this is our ultimate authority, right? our compass for our life. We compare all other truths and realities to this first. This is our standard. And so this is what comes down above, and then we're held to this standard here, and that God says, this is what I want you to do, and there's peace in being within the will of the Father. And then what happens is that when we step outside of this, we get disciplined back into it, and let's see what that discipline does. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. We can, all, we can all get that. We've all been disciplined somehow. And there's all, there, I guarantee you, everybody in this room has been disciplined before with something we know we should be disciplined for. It did not feel good, but it corrected us and made us good. Right? In general, very simple terms. We've all been there before and had that happen. Check this out. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I really believe that's what's happening. The problem is, the reason why we go try to buy a new house, get landscaping, go out to dinner instead, retail therapy and stuff like that, is because it's painful. Because it's discipline. And just like our little kids that were like, oh, you guys are sticky and disobedient. <laughs> we're the same way when it comes to this stuff with God. We don't like that. So then we try to find that peace somewhere else. And what's really at the root of that, what's feeling that, what the roots are of that issue, I believe oftentimes is when we step outside the will of the Father, we're not at peace. Obviously, people who have not placed their faith in Christ have that. Christians, we step outside of that also. And then there's discipline because the Lord loves us and that is painful. And then the results, the fruit of that discipline and correction is peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. In the end, I think that we can't disagree that the world is teaching something far different than that. I'll give you an example. I googled, um, I want peace. Part of my study this morning. First link that comes up, Kentucky Counseling Center. One of, the, one of the things they talked about was meditation. 
So we meditate upon the Word, but no, their example. I'm not afraid of meditation if I'm meditating on the Word. When they say meditation, I went on to read. First example they gave was yoga. So solution, get some ultra-tight pants on and go and just stretch as hard as you can in whatever, whatever position you can contort yourself in. And that will help. Let go of your regrets. They talked about any mistakes you've made and stuff. Forget about them. Don't use them to correct yourself and be like, that was stupid, I shouldn't do that. Just forget about them. Live kind of your truth and your reality, and you'll find that peace. Love yourself. I went on to read. Here's the idea. Love yourself first. Love yourself first, because then you'll be able to love somebody else. Because if you don't love yourself, how can you possibly love somebody else? So you put yourself first. And then there's another one right after that says self-care. Basically says the same, the same thing. Take care of yourself first. You go get that facial. You go get that car. You get that first drink. You take care of yourself first. Because then when you're in a good place, then you have the margin to help somebody else. It's ridiculousness. Here's one that's even worse than that. It's literally on the list. So when people are looking for this, the first thing that's going to come up in the list is declutter. The example was clean your closet. Listen, that's, listen, listen, stop it. There's people looking at me being like, yeah, I've done it. It works. No, it doesn't. It's temporary. It's a painkiller that after four to six hours goes away. We're trying to solve it in the wrong problems. And what happens is we get so far away and we try to medicate, 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 medicate. And eventually, this is what happens, and many, many of us have been there. We realize how far we've strayed from the will of God, and we see what we've medicated ourselves for, and it's a painful way to get back there. Because we clean our closet too many times. <laughs> Second option, if you don't like the first, is OprahDaily.com. <laughs> Check this out. This is funny, but like, I'm only like probably like 10% joking about this stuff. Like, this is literally what people are being taught by the world. Breath control. You need to think about the air that you're taking in and think about the air that is going out. Get control of your breathing. That's the first step of controlling yourself and being at peace. Control your breathing. Feel the truth that you are safe and loved. That's good. But what if you're not? <laughs> now, I'm serious. What, what if you're not actually safe? What if you're in an unsafe space, whether physically, emotionally, relationally, whatever? What if you're not in a safe place? What, about, what if like, you don't have people around you that love you? There's a, I won't go into the details of the story, but there is a... a child that has a mom and dad that's not connected to any other relatives over the course of four days both of them die so that kid hey just just believe the truth that you're safe and loved that means nothing to that person in the sense that they're talking about what the what what i believe in the example that i just gave that little boy needs jesus the very core of all that is going on, the first thing, the root of what that kid's need is Jesus. To know that this feeling of him knowing the laws written on his heart and that he has failed from that and he's not reconciled to the Father and that there is a God and that things aren't right, he's not at peace, to know that the peace comes from that the triune God came in Jesus and lived the life that we had failed to live, fulfilling what we had not fulfilled, and then innocently placed himself on the cross, taking care of all the un unreconciled sin in our life so that we can be reconciled back to the Father, so that when this short life that is talked about in Scripture is as a vapor, when that is gone, that there is heaven and that there is hell. And knowing that I get to spend eternity in heaven because this loving God who is merciful by grace, because of grace came and took my place, took my penalty, paid my debt because He did love me so that I could be reconciled to the Father. 
And not because I deserve anything or any of my doing. I'm redeemed. I'm new. I'm a child of God. And begins to step underneath this, the word from above, and begin to walk in the will of the Father and that there's a sense of peace no matter what's happening along the sides of those roads. If you want peace, I believe what the world's really looking for is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, people like Tom who can come and, and preach your word faithfully. I pray that uh, you'd heal that family. I also thank you for this special moment this morning where we're just reminded that it's not by cleverly designed sermons or cute stories, but it's by the power of your word that we are transformed. It appears that at the root of something in mankind, we search for peace. And I pray that this morning we are reminded or told maybe for the first time that that peace is going to be only found in you. Everything else is temporary and falls short of what is actually needed for our soul who, that has been designed by you. Draw your people to yourself. We love you. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.